0: Amen. Well, good morning again, Mount Calvary Church. We're back in 1 Samuel. So if you have a Bible and can turn to 1 Samuel 17, we have a long story this morning. And so it's helpful if you follow along. Like BJ has already said this morning, that we are stepping into one of the most iconic stories of the whole Bible: David and Goliath. I mean, what a great story. We've all heard it as kids. It's the inspiration of this story that is used in football stadiums and boxing rings and baseball diamonds all over to inspire the little guy going up against the big guy, the Goliath. It's the story back in 2016 with Penn State. Many of you are going to remember this, going up against the mighty Goliath, Ohio State still in the shadow of the sanctions from the scandal not having as many scholarships being 20 point underdogs and Penn State is headed or Ohio State is coming into the valley happy valley that is to face Penn State there was an article that was written by one of the sports writer leading up to the game that said Penn State is now david facing the goliath and as the game happened Penn State was losing most of the game Um, They hadn't, in fact, they hadn't beaten a top five team in almost 20 years. Ohio State is winning the whole game. You get to the fourth quarter. you, You guys remember this? 20, what is the year? 2016? Some of you remember this. They were losing, kicking a field, Ohio State's kicking a field goal. What happens? Penn State blocks the field goal. 71-yard return of that blocked field goal to score a touchdown to win the game, and they call it in Penn State one of the greatest plays in Penn State history. The little guy beats the big guy. Goliath goes down, and so this is the kind of inspiration we get from a typical sermon with David and Goliath, or it's the sermon that maybe you've heard before preached in countless pulpits about how we are to slay our giants, that our giants of fear and anxiety and sin are coming up against us and we are to collect our own five smooth stones of worship and obedience and prayer in evangelism, we're to take our stones and we are to go and to attack whatever the Goliath is that's attacking you. Perhaps you've heard a sermon like that. And as I've, as I've been studying the story of David and Goliath, I've wondered, are we missing something with these kinds of applications with the story of David and Goliath? Like, are we missing something? know, David didn't use five stones. He used one stone. Did he not value prayer or worship or witnessing? I mean, is this the appropriate application for Johnny's t-ball team? I mean, is he facing Goliath? I mean, Goliath is trying to kill David. is Is that the right application? And I don't suspect it is. And so this morning, I know for most of us, this is a pretty familiar story, but my hope is that we can go deep. And we can really think about what what's being said here. And then the bigger question, how does this apply to us today? Or to say it another way, who are we in this story? Because it's a story about characters. It's a story about dialogue. The outline, I'll put it up on the screen. We're going to start with Saul and Goliath. The scene then moves to moves to Saul and David. And then it closes with David and Goliath. But the question for us is, as we're studying this passage, as familiar as we are with it, is where are we in the text? How does this apply to us? Because it's such a long passage, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to focus. I'll read the first 11 verses. I'll skip down to that last section, 41 through 54. And then as I share, we'll talk through that middle section as well. So follow along as I read, and then we'll pray. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah, in a camp between Soka and Ezekiah, in Ephesus, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up line in, ba- in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and the Israelites stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the, from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and a shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Then the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. But then David said to the Philistine... And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give me into, you, into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag. He took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shirem, as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, They plundered and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today as we hear your word, as we study your word, as we consider it, that by this word, through your spirit, and in your grace, that you would shape us, convict us, encourage us, teach us for your glory and for your name. Amen. So as we jump into the passage this morning, we have a very similar start to the story that Saul would have had in 1 Samuel chapter 10. If you remember 1 Samuel 10, remember remember Saul had been announced He'd been anointed. He'd been empowered. And right after Saul was announced, empowered, and anointed, what happens to him in the very next chapter, it's kind of a high note. And then all of a sudden, he's faced with Nahash and the Ammonites. Immediately, immediately he faces battle. And here, David faces much of the same. Right fresh off the anointing of chapter 16, In chapter 17, we get to see what kind of leader is David going to be. He's anointed. Now he faces the mighty army of the Philistines. Like I've already said, there's a ton of detail in this passage, Fifty-four verses. This is the longest story in 1 Samuel. It's the most dialogue in 1 Samuel. There's more description to this battle scene than we see almost in any other battle in the Old Testament. Why is Samuel, why do we get so much detail for this battle here in 1 Samuel 17? It's because we're being drawn in as readers. We're being invited to, to hear and to sense and to feel the daunting nature of what Israel is facing. And so that's why all these details, it's a story. And you're being drawn into the story to really feel what's happening here. In this opening scene, we see Saul and Goliath in the first 11 verses. First verse, we see the geographic context kind of paints, kind of gives us the context for where this is happening The Philistines, it says, were gathered in Ahsoka, which belongs to Judah. They're in Judah. They're in Israel. This isn't a battle on neutral ground. This is an invasion. The Philistines are marching into Israel. And they are bloodthirsty, and they want to conquer Israel, and they want their land, and they want them to be nothing. This isn't just a battle. This is an invasion. And then verse 2, the Israelites... Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Verse 3, we're told kind of the the scene that we picture as kids. There's the one side, the top of the, the other mountain is the Philistines. On the other side in the valley are the Israelites. In between them is this massive valley. And it is a standstill. Who will descend into the valley to fight the other? And so they're waiting. I mean, for one of the armies to descend into the valley is to be in a vulnerable position immediately because the other army has high ground. They're looking down upon them. And so that's where we are. The Philistines on one side, Israel on the other side. And you're kind of thinking as you, as you read this, as you read the stories, what is Israel gonna, what are they gonna do? What, how is Saul going to respond? He's the leader I mean, this is, they are in Israel. This is the promised land that God has given to Israel. The promise that he gave them back in Genesis. This has been fulfilled in Israel now in the land. And will they go and fight for what God has promised them and given them? And then in verse 4, we meet the mighty Goliath. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath, of Gath, whose height was a six cubits and a span. Doesn't say Goliath was a giant. What does it say? Goliath is he's a champion. That's a really unique word. It's the only time we see the word champion used in the Old Testament. In Hebrew, it's two words. Okay, the two words that are kind of brought together. It's the word for man in Hebrew, and it's the word for between in Hebrew. So literally. Goliath was the man between. He was the representative for the Philistines that was stepping between the Philistines and Israel. He was the victorious representative. He was the one that stood out among all the others. And so he was interposing himself as the champion, as the man between, as the representative. He was interposing himself for the Philistines in front of the Israelites. And this man is huge. He's huge. He's six cubits and a span. He's nine and a half feet tall. So he's massive. He's a tank. But he wasn't just physically superior. But his his military equipment, his armament were far superior than anything that Israel had. And, And the text makes a point to belabor this point. Goliath had everything he needed. He was far superior. He has a helmet of bronze. He has a coat of armor weighing 125 pounds. Now, do you lift weights? That's heavy. Okay, I have some some dumbbells. I don't use them, but I have them. And, And it's nice to have them just in case, you know. And I was moving them, not using them, moving them out of the one room into the next. And I, the highest weight that the dumbbell can get to is 52 and a half pounds. And I picked it up and just the 52 pounds, was, it was really heavy. And this is 125 pounds on his shoulders that he is using. That's how big this guy is. His legs are like tree trunks. His legs are so big, they can have armor on them as well. He has a bronze javelin. He has a spear that's like a weaver's beam. It's so, the diameter is so wide that we could hardly get our hands around it. And this, this is the picture. And hopefully you're feeling drawn into the story because that's the point, that you are beginning to have this fear well up in you as you kind of considered the situation that Israel was in. I mean, the spear alone had a tip that was 15 pounds. 15 pounds. And so this is is the situation. And he wasn't just physically superior. He didn't just have superior military equipment. But his pride and his confidence are superior. Verse 8, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. I mean, Goliath is in complete control of the situation. He is dictating everything that happens. The word we see throughout the whole story is defiance. I defy the rank of Israel. I defy the God of Israel. And so he's inviting them. He's commanding them that they would send out a champion to fight him as the champion. This is called representative warfare. This was common, that instead of all the battle, all the armies kind of descending into the valley, let's, let's avoid that. You send us your champion, your man between, your victorious representative, and let's save the armies descending into the valley, and let's fight, winner take all, with the two champions to represent your army. And so this is what he's calling for. And again it's how are you going to respond to Israel Like what are you going to do if you've heard my first Samuel see if you've been here for the series I mean you you're you're almost just waiting for them to tap into one of the lessons that we've already taught I mean in a way I, I do feel like a broken record I mean how many sermons have I preached on God will fight for you that God's plans will not be thwarted. His ways will not get off track. That his people will not be abandoned. How many sermons? How many battles have we had? How many battles with the Philistines have we had? But, and so you're, you're waiting. You're just waiting for Saul to stand up. And like Jonathan said a few chapters ago, God can win this battle by many or by few. You're just waiting for that line. Or the line from the last chapter in 16. God doesn't look on the outside. God looks at the heart. You're waiting for Saul to stand up and to be the champion. I mean, that's who you're, you're picturing Is he's calling out for the leader to come. I mean, who is it going to be? It's got to be Saul, right? Tall and handsome and strong. The king that they wanted to fight their battles. And now this is the battle. And as you start to kind of picture Saul, kind of anticipate Saul stepping out to face Goliath, then we get a zoom in on what Saul is doing in verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. With the echo, of Goliath's voice still in the background. We zoom in on the king, on Saul, and what is he doing? He is dismayed, and he is greatly afraid. And guess what? The people have followed him as the leader into his fear. And so this is the low point of the chapter. I mean, you you zoom in on Saul, and it is low. I mean, this is the guy you were anticipating and expecting and hoping for, thinking that all of Samuel has been working up to this point. And if, but if this is the low point, verse 12 starts us in a new direction. It's the high point. A new character enters, to this, enters the scene of the chapter. Verse 12. Now, David. Now, David. We get to meet a new guy, a new person. A new portrait. And really, from this verse on through the rest of the chapter, the portrait now that's being developed is the one for David. And as we kind of work through this portrait, this picture of this new king, of this new anointed man, what, what we're going to see as we work through the text is that David didn't look like the champion or the warrior or the king that you would expect. I mean, the picture starts to get painted, and you're like, why all these details? Because this doesn't look like the man who's going to be able to beat Goliath. Verse 12, it says, says he was young. Saul was old, so he doesn't look like Saul. He's a young man. What's he doing in the scene or in the story? He's so young, he can't even fight. And so his dad is making him the delivery boy. For 40 days, he's sending his, his son David to the, to the army. And because he's so young, he's delivering food and goods. And he is, in exchange, checking in on his older brothers who are fighting in the battle. And so this is the picture of what David is doing in the scene. In verse 18 of chapter 17, take these 10 Jesus to the commander And see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. David is the delivery boy of cheese. That is funny. Not just one cheese, ten cheeses. How wonderful does that sound? Gouda and pepper jack and cheddar. Maybe some chips and some dipping mustard. Like, I love cheese. This sounds wonderful. This, This doesn't sound like the man that's about to go defeat Goliath. Here's the picture that we're getting of David. He's lowly, he's humble, he's a servant, he's not expected. And the the portrait just continues. Verse 23, the turning point. I call this the turning point. I love this. As he talked with them, behold, the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. I mean, what a line that is. David heard Goliath. And so this is different. All of a sudden, why why are we letting this guy defy our God? Who is this man that we are allowing him to speak about our God in this way? And for the first time, David speaks in all of 1 Samuel. He didn't speak in 1 Samuel 16. Here are his first words, and his first words are powerful words. Verse 26, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's not a champion giant. Who is he to David? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. You're not in God's family. You don't know God. You don't worship God. You worship non-gods. You worship false gods. Who are we to let this guy talk about our mighty God in this way? The scene in verse 28 shifts, kind of a side scene with his brothers in verse 28 with Eliab, and we see in this scene why Eliab wasn't chosen as the next anointed king. Because Eliab is like his father, Saul. And in verse 28, Eliab is angry with his brother. He's mocking his brother. He's accusing his brother of wicked motives. And what does David do here? Just another great example of great leadership. What does David do with his brother? Verse 30. He turned away from him and turned toward away from him and toward another, and he spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. David doesn't respond to his brother. I mean, David knows the battle he's ready to fight, and it's not a family battle, and he is wise, and he is discerning, and he is selective, and he doesn't respond to his brother. He goes, and he moves on, and then quickly About this time, Saul has now heard about this boy named David who's saying he is ready to fight. David calls for him, verse 31 and 32. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight. David says, I am ready to fight. You're paralyzed. Your heart is failing. You are discouraged and you are dismayed and you are fearful, and I am ready to fight. And then the first words of Saul in chapter 17, verse 33, typical Saul, you are not able. That's what Saul says. He sees him. He sees him. I mean, he had heard about this boy that was talking and he'd go and fight, and then he sees him and he says, You're not able. I mean, you're the cheese boy. Goliath has been fighting for longer than, than you've been alive. You can't do this. And then David disputes him. And he gives a whole, a whole, a whole re, all the reasons why he is able to do this. He says, I'm a shepherd. It's like, well, what, what good is being a shepherd? Well, let me tell you. I have fought lions and I, have fight, I fight bears. My son has a book called Who, Who Wins This Battle? What's it called? Wins. It's between two. It's all these animals, and they they. It's violent. He loves it. And they they, these two animals. And there's one scene where it's the grizzly bear versus the polar bear. And so you get all these facts about who's going to win. Who's going to win in a battle between these two? And the grizzly bear wins. He's eight feet tall, four inch, four inch claws, thirty five miles an hour he can run, and he destroys the polar bear. I mean, this this David is saying. Listen, I am a shepherd, but I am a shepherd. That fights bears and lions, and he wasn't just strong. That's not his. That's not his whole case here. Not just I'm mighty, but what do we see the, the the compassion? We see the heart of the shepherd in David. He would go after the one sheep to save the one sheep from the flock, from the bears and from the lions. I mean, what a heart! How much compassion David has? I mean, if he would do that for one sheep, what do you think he's about Israel, all of Israel that's standing, held hostage. He loves his people. So he's not just mighty, but he's not, and he's not just compassionate and have the heart of the shepherd. He's a, he is a mighty man of faith. Verse 37, what B.J. said during worship, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I have confidence in the presence, in the present because of God's faithfulness in the past. He's saying, God, it was faithful then. He is faithful today and right now. And I'm confident. I mean, he's got strength and he's got heart and he's got faith. And at this point, Saul is just, he is ready to give it a try. Tries to put armor on David. Whether it doesn't fit or it wasn't comfortable, we're not sure, but, but David declines. So here's the champion. This is the champion, the chosen warrior, but, but we we see it. He doesn't look like it. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have Armor he doesn't have the best experience but what does he do he grabs what he uses his staff and he grabs these five stones and he grabs his sling and he goes into the valley into the battle with the mighty Goliath and when Goliath sees him look what he says verse 42 the Philistine looked and saw David he disdained him for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance and the Philistine said to David am I a dog Would you come to me with sticks The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Goliath said what Saul was thinking, what Eliab was thinking, what the others were thinking. David, you don't look the part. Who is this guy? He comes with his stick. And Goliath curses him. Little does Goliath know that the punishment for cursing in the Old Testament in Leviticus is to be stoned to death. Goliath has a problem coming and he doesn't even see it. And then David responds to this, to this introduction from Goliath. The speech that we're reading, verse 45 and forty-seven through 47, this is longer than the battle. Look at what David says. You come to me with a sword and with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of army, the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. I mean, what a a speech. Seven times David mentions God and the Lord as if to say, this is God's battle and God's victory for God's glory. David does not feel unequipped. He doesn't feel unequipped. I I have the whole host of all the angels behind me. I have the powerful, almighty, eternal Lord God almighty behind me. And just like that, for 54 verses for a chapter, anticipating one battle, the battle is over so quick. He runs. Goliath begins to approach him. The text tells us, which we understand would have been his strength, hand-to-hand combat. He has the armor, he has the sword, he has the javelin. And what does David do? The text says, doesn't it say that David cowered backwards. It says David ran to the line and he stopped short. He stopped short, he pulled out his sling, he pulled out his stone, and with one shot he killed David, or he killed, sorry, killed Goliath. I mean, what what a story that is. And what does he do next? He pulls out the sword that Goliath was intending to kill God's representative, and he uses that sword to kill him. And so, for us, where are we in this story? Because the traditional understanding of David and Goliath is that we're David. Go, Go slay your fear. Slay your anxiety. Kill your anger. Kill your impatience and your complacency and just strike down your negative talk. Like, you are David. Slay your giant. But here's the problem with that. Is that if that's, if that's the whole message, go and work hard against your sin and your struggle and your addiction, your biggest Goliath in your life, whatever that is, The problem is, is that we fail at that. That if we were honest on a typical week, that the Goliath of our lives slays us, not us slaying him or whatever it is. They shatter us. But here's here's where, where I think we need to see ourselves. We're not David in this passage. We're not to be like David in this passage. Who are we most like in this passage in my understanding, in my, my belief, we are like Saul and we are like Israel. Powerless, helpless, fearful, dismayed, overcome by whatever it is that comes after us. But, here's, but, but don't forget what God does here with Goliath. And this is really important. God doesn't send David That the instruction for David is not to go to Saul and to Israel and give them a motivational speech. It's not a pump-up speech like, hey, Saul, hey, Israel, you're going to come with me to fight this battle. God does not send them a pump-up speech. He sends them a substitute. He sends them a substitute. It's not, let's get everyone to come and to slay the giant together. It's no. David is the man between. He's the champion. He is the representative. And David is saying, I will fight for you. What I do and my victory will count for you. And so what, my understanding, we, we don't need a motivational speech about being like David, we need a David. We need a hero who will fight for us. So who is Goliath in this passage? A lot of times we say Goliath is our broken-down minivan, or our bad-day Monday, or the sins that we struggle with, or all these challenges that we're facing. But the, pro- the problem with that is all the description we get for Goliath in this passage. And Goliath is is the master of death in this passage. I mean, he is the representative of all evil. He is the king of fears. And what is Goliath trying to do? He's trying to kill and destroy and taunt and belittle and smash and completely render useless all of Israel. And so going back to that description, who is Goliath then for us today? It is none other than Satan. Death. And evil, I mean, this is, this is big. And again, the point being, we were to st- if we were to step into the ring with that kind of Goliath, how would we fare? We would not fare well. We don't need a sermon telling us to act like David. We need a David. And aren't we thankful that we have one? Aren't we thankful that into our helplessness, into our helplessness, God sent another boy from Bethlehem. That he came from obscurity, but there was greatness in him. That when he came, he came lowly, and he wasn't what anyone else was expecting. Not a cheese boy, but a carpenter. Washing people's feet. Not what anyone thought he would look like. And he came as the good shepherd. Heart full of compassion. And just like David's brothers did. What did Jesus' brothers do to him? I mean, they mocked him accused him, belittled him. What did the people do to Jesus? Mocked and belittled. You're a carpenter from Nazareth. What do you think you're gonna do? You're not the king of kings. Jesus faced what David faced. Yet Jesus stepped out against our enemy. And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus said, the God of this world is now judged. Jesus looked weak. He didn't launch an offensive he didn't launch this massive battle with all the disciples. What did he do? He led himself to be arrested and beaten and shamed and mocked and crucified. He wasn't wearing armor, he looked small, but guess what? Jesus won. He won. Hebrews 2:14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Through Jesus' death, he destroyed death. He destroyed the devil to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is the story of David and Goliath in the New Testament. It's Jesus. He's our champion and he is our representative And he took the very sword that Satan was using to destroy him, and he turned it, and he destroyed Satan, just like David does. This is the gospel. Jesus' death ends all death. This is Christianity. It's not well up all the power you can muster to go fight your fears and your sins and your struggles. It's Rest in the shadow and in the mercy and the grace of the greater David, who did it all for you. You hear me? That's an amen. David did it for us, so that we don't have to. But listen, we, we, there is some fighting in this, in this for the Israelites. How so? The, how do we handle our little Goliaths? Right there's the big Goliath. You which know, is the representative of all death and struggle and sin. And, but there are little Goliaths, not to minimize the, the struggles that we have today. Israel does fight. Verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So they did fight. But notice, when did they fight? They weren't fighting for victory. That was David. They are fighting from victory, because of victory, because of what David did for us. Now, let us shout and be joyful and pursue the fight of the Philistines, because this is, this is our battle. But it is a key distinction. They weren't fighting for victory. They were fighting from it, because of it, in light of it. And so this is where we are in the passage. We're not David, but we fight from the victory that we have in the greater David. And that our our temptation or the reality is is that we will tend to be discouraged and dismayed and fearful like Saul. That that's the the default. That this week we will be just discouraged. And so how do we not do that? And I'll close with this passage. Hebrews 12, one through three. and is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. How are we not to lose heart? It's not a pump-up speech, not an underdog speech, not a motivational speech. What do we do so that we can fight? We fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what we do. We look to the one who fought for us. It's not go and fight. It's, the passage tells us, look to Jesus. Some translations, set, fixed your eyes on Jesus. And when you fix your eyes on him, what happens? I have a hope, I have a future, that no tragedy, no addiction, no discouragement, no sin, no challenge, no broken down minivan, no nothing, nothing can take my eyes off of Jesus. That is who my eyes are fixed on when my mini-goliaths come at me. And so the message is not fight for yourself. It's recognize and realize that you have been fought for by the greatest of all time, and he has won. He's won, and you're loved. And now we can go in the power of that victory to face whatever it is that we will face this week. And so we turn our attention to the valley, which is the cross, to the greater David. As we sing this last song, it is is intended to help you and me fix our eyes on Jesus and the victory that we have because of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we are not left to fight Goliath on our own. But that you sent a greater David, Jesus Christ. You fought the fight that we could never have fought, that in his death, all death is no more. And so, God, I pray for us as we sing this last song: hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the victory. God, I pray that it's not just words, but God, it would be, it would well up inside of us, this, this joy and passion about who you are for us through Jesus, that when we leave today and we face whatever it is we're going to face this week, whatever Goliath is going to come, smaller Goliath is going to come our way, that we will fix our eyes on you. And so God, help us. Help us to to keep our eyes on you. And so we, we sing this song for you. In your name we pray. Amen.